0: Hello and welcome to a special episode of Maths on the Move, the podcast from plus.maths.org. I'm Rachel Thomas. And this week, we're very pleased to be hosting an episode of Spider Presents, the podcast produced by our colleagues, Ed Hill and Laura Guzman from the University of Warwick. Ed and Laura are from the Zeeman Institute for Systems Biology and Infectious Disease Epidemiology Research Group, which is more easily known as SPIDER and the Spider Presents podcast focuses on recent work from the staff and students in that group. We've been lucky enough to work with Ed and Laura through our collaboration with the Juniper Modelling Consortium. And in this podcast, they talk to Matt Keeling, one of the co-leads of Juniper, about work from last year that took projections from some of their COVID models that informed policy decisions here in the UK, and they compared those projections to what actually went on to happen in real life. It's really interesting to have this chance to look back at work done in the height of the pandemic and reflect on what was successful and what lessons need to be learned. We have an article about this particular piece of research on plus.maths.org if you'd like to know more, so we'll put links to that article and to our work with Ed and Laura and all the rest of the Junipers in the show notes for today's episode. We hope you enjoy this episode of Spider Presents.
1: This is Spider Presents, a series produced by the Spider Podcast Hub. My name is Laura Guzmán.
2: And mine is Ed Hill. Today, we welcome Matt Keeling. As well as being a professor in the Mathematics Institute and School of Life Sciences at the University of Warwick, Matt is also the director of the Spider Group. Matt has research interests in epidemiology, evolution, and ecology. As part of his work, Matt has been a member of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization, the JCBI and the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Modelling which was an operational subgroup of the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies (SAGE) during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK. For recognition of his advisory work, Matt was awarded an OBE in 2021. In this episode, we will be discussing the research article, Comparison of the 2021 COVID-19 roadmap projections against public health data in England. This work was published in Nature Communications in August 2022.
1: Welcome, Matt, to Spider Presents. Can you tell us about the contributions made by Spider as part of the modelling response to the COVID-19 pandemic, both in the UK and abroad?
3: Yeah, so Spider was heavily involved in a lot of the work that went on through spi so, so the Scientific Pandemic Influencer Modelling Group, the operational group that, that fed into SAGE. Um, there was four main academics, so that's, that's myself, Louise Dyson, Mike Tilsley, and Ed Hill, all of whom were sort of regular contributors to SPYAM. Um, in addition, there were a number of uh, postdocs and PhD students that also fed into the work. And in total, um, this was through the Juniper Modelling Consortium, uh, which was a network of seven universities, all of which were, were interested in, and used mathematical modelling as a tool to try and understand what was going on. And in total, we um, submitted hundreds of different uh, sets of results that went through to spi that tried to explain both what was happening at the time, but also forecast what might happen uh, in the future, thinking about different scenarios. In addition to that, there was a um, a body of work that was um, done in collaboration with the KEMRI Wellcome Trust Centre in Kalifi, Kenya, which was trying to understand the dynamics that was happening in Kenya. So in some way, that was an interesting counterpoint to what we were seeing in the UK. They were dealing with a situation in a very different population with very different amounts of data. But again, it was similar types of questions of could we understand what was happening at the time and could we see what was going to happen moving forward into the future? Um so I think as, as a whole I think the work that was done by Spider and how that fared into Juniper was absolutely sort of key to, as part of the scientific advice that moved things forward throughout the pandemic.
2: One of the particular contributions made was as part of modelling to help inform um, our movement kind of out of lockdown in early 2021 as we moved through the steps laid out in a roadmap out of lockdown. Uh, I was wondering if you'd be able to provide the listeners some you know, context of the epidemiological situation at that time, and then in terms of this study, which is then like kind of a retrospective look back, what the specific aims were of the study. The work came about as
3: part of, of the information that was feeding into SPIAM and and then to Sage, and we'd been through one wave in um, March April of twenty twenty. There was then a second wave that started in sort of September of 2020, but really peaked in January of 2021 and resulted in a lockdown, second lockdown at the time. Um, and once cases had started to drop and hospitalizations were getting down to a level that the system could cope with, The real question was, how did we move out of this lockdown in a way that didn't overwhelm the NHS, didn't result in a a, a large third wave? And so there was a number of different suggestions about how we could move out. So one of the pieces of work that we did in um, early sort of February, March time was thinking about the different timings that we could use to, to relax the controls that we had. We'd now got vaccination available, so vaccines were there to try and limit the amount of spread and to limit the, the severity of disease, especially in the elderly and vulnerable. But we realised that we couldn't just switch off all controls; that would lead to it to another large scale wave. And so the question was sort of, how did we relax things slowly, um, such that we could get back to a situation where there was very there were no restrictions, really, on, on social mixing. Um, and so that was done through a the- series of steps. Step one was, was a sort of a small change with schools going back and some shops reopening, and then we moved all the way through to step four, which was the final sort of phase where all controls were, were lifted. And so the, the roadmap really was a, a, a question of how we did that as efficiently as possible. And it was done these four steps, each of which had um, about five weeks between them, so that there was enough time to analyse the what had happened in the previous step and make projections going forward. So there was a, a series of, of roadmap documents that were generated by myself and individuals within SPIDER that looked at what we estimated might happen as each of these steps occurred. Did we think there was going to be a large-scale outbreak? Did we think that whatever happened could be controllable? So that was really the sort of background to it, trying to sort of give confidence that each of these steps could occur without there being severe problems.
1: How did you investigate these questions that you found uh, when building this roadmap?
3: We began to think about sort of modelling COVID infections back in January, February of 2020. So in a lot of ways, the model had sort of evolved as things had progressed and as we learned more about the infection. So we'd gone from having relatively simple models that, that captured the dynamics, but had things in like age structure and symptomatic and asymptomatic individuals. As we moved through the outbreak, we realised that variants came in, so that then increased the complexity of the model again. Then as we moved into December time, we got the vaccine, so we had to then sort of put another element in where we sort of captured the impact of vaccination. And so all this is built in a large-scale mathematical model which takes the mechanisms that we know about, it takes the underlying biology, translates that into into mathematics, allowing us to project forwards under different scenarios. And then that model is matched to the available data by fine-tuning all the parameters within it. One element was, was taking this model, which is being fit on a, a weekly basis to the evolving data. The other part of it was thinking about what type of scenarios would happen under each step of the roadmap so you know if we had step two where you know shops reopened well what would that do to people's mixing what would that do to their behavior and I think in a lot of ways, that was probably one of the key things that we learned as we went through this process was that um People's behavior was actually much more complicated than we'd initially thought, so you know our assumption was as soon as they opened the pubs, well, you know people had people had been sort of at home, unable to go out and socialize we We expected there to be a mass change in behavior on the day with people making up for lost time, and I think what we what we learned was that actually people were far more cautious. So I think there was there was a learning process that went in thinking about what these scenarios were. So part of it was the mathematics. So part of it was was building the model and and allowing it to run forwards and fitting it to the available data. But the other part was was the epidemiology, really uh, thinking about what might happen to the population and how they would react to each of these changes.
2: So you mentioned behavioural response being a important consideration and perhaps one that's kind of highlighted there was uncertainty around that through doing the various modeling for each step of the roadmap and then kind of retrospectively looking back and how that compared to what actually occurred what would you say were there any other surprising outcomes let's say
3: so uh, i think one of the the key things i mean one of the reasons that we did this was you know firstly that the group had put in an awful lot of work over an entire year. Um, to generate these type of results. So it, it was it was interesting to put this back into the public domain, thinking about sort of how well we'd done for each of the roadmap steps. Um, I think in terms of surprising, I think yeah yeah, as as I said, the behavioural aspect I think is is very important. Uh, I think we still don't have a good handle on on how quickly people start going back to normal behaviour. Uh, I think there's, there's some, been some really interesting questions about trying to understand vaccines. So, when I started my, my sort of career doing, doing mathematical modelling of infectious diseases, a, a vaccine was something that protected you and it was very much a sort of an on off switch. Um, so, you were either protected or not. What we've really learned during COVID is just how complicated that is. And we're now in a situation where people have had three, four doses of different vaccines at different times together with past infection. And so I think there's there's this huge high dimensional complexity that is very, very difficult to capture. I think I've, I've also been surprised by just how uncertain and unstable the dynamics are. That as we try and look at these retrospective fits, if you get any one part even slightly wrong, it throws off the, the whole future dynamics very, very quickly. And part of this is because it's it's an exponential growth process. So if you get that exponential wrong, it grows either much faster or much slower, and that has long-term knock-on effects. So it's not something that that stabilizes, and a small error dissipates over time it's actually something where small errors grow and so i, I think those are the probably the, the two things how much we really need to learn about vaccination and how it protects both sort of instantaneously sort of once you've had the vaccine but also over longer terms of how it declines and then the questions about sort of actually fitting the model to the data and just how unstable it is and how sensitive it's sensitive it is to getting small things incorrect.
1: With this being a retrospective analysis and moving forwards, what, in your view, are important considerations with regards to pandemic preparedness and use of mathematical modelling? And have these views been altered in any way given the learnings from this study? Uh,
3: It's a good question because it's something that everyone is now thinking about, is, is how do we prepare for the next pandemic? I think one of the things that's... key is what making sure we have the right data coming in and thinking about good ways in which you can make the mathematical models fit to the data. So it's very easy to construct an incredibly complicated model. Um, It's easy to put all the biology in, but unless you get the, the parameters right, unless you get the numbers right that go into these models then it becomes very difficult to actually make accurate predictions. So as I said before, the models is incredibly sensitive to getting all the numbers right. And if some of those are out, your long-term behavior is wrong. So I think one of the things we need to think about moving forward over the next maybe five, 10 years in terms of pandemic preparedness is really how we develop a pipeline from the data that's available through um, being able to sort of abstract that and release certain amounts to the academic community through to how you actually fit any available model to the data into actually generating uh, mathematical models that are robust and accurate to give you short or medium term projections. I think there's also a lot of work that needs to be done that thinks about what you can do in the very, very short term. So when you see an outbreak of whatever disease X is that comes along next, how quickly can you learn enough to be able to do very, very short-term models to suggest, you know, is this going to be something like SARS-1, which, although that spread globally, it didn't uh, affect a large number of people. Uh, there was a fairly limited spread, or is it going to be something like SARS-CoV-2 that has spread worldwide and is persisting? So I think being able to understand what you need to measure very, very early on in a pandemic to be able to place you in different categories of the types of control that you need, I think is going to be very important. There's a, there's a government and a worldwide plan called the first 100 days, which is about how, how you react in that first 100 days, developing vaccines within that time period, developing drugs. And I mean, that's, that's not something I'm directly involved in, but I think mathematical modelling has a, a big role in that to think about how those vaccines should be deployed optimally once they're actually developed. So with, with the COVID outbreak, the vaccines took around a year to be developed, and that was that was phenomenally fast compared to what we've seen before. They're now talking about reducing that by a third, so having vaccines available within a hundred days, and that's brilliant. But the question is, who do you give it to? What do you do to actually try and control this outbreak as quickly as possible? And what we don't want to do is just assume that everything we've learned from the COVID outbreak is going to translate to the next outbreak. So COVID has been very particular in terms of who got infected. It's it's really been an infection that's where severity is concentrated in the elderly and in the most vulnerable. Uh, But the next pandemic might be very different. It may be in in children, it may be in in middle-aged adults, like the uh, 1918 flu pandemic. So it could be that different sectors of society need protection. And so one of the questions is, is how quickly you can actually understand that type of information and how quickly easily you can um, enfold that within the, the modeling frameworks.
2: And a personal observation from um, the past couple of years, kind of seeing the proliferation of different data streams, in, a, in essence, increase in amount of like genomics the like wastewater surveillance like community infection surveys etc so to try to have this pipeline where given these potential different data inputs how that can then usefully be used within mathematical modeling frameworks going forwards seems like a very very interesting problem to analyze and also a challenging one at the same time
3: yeah i think it is i think as we move forward i think data is going to become more and more available i think We're in a society now where we've become more attuned to the idea that this information should just be out there. We obviously don't want personal information on individuals, but the more information we have on numbers is is always important. I think what is going to be a challenge is what do you do when you have different data streams that are in some way giving conflicting information. you mentioned wastewater. I think wastewater is going to be a really valuable source because it tells you a lot about what's happening in the wider community. But when you've got wastewater doing one thing and hospitalisation doing something different, how do you actually balance that? And the only way, I think, to balance that information is through a mathematical model that can take all these different factors into account. But I do hope as we move forward that, that this type of information gets um, more dispersed into the community so that people can actually sort of look at this information, firstly from a, well, personally from a mathematical modelling point of view, so I can make decisions or, or provide advice what we think may happen in, in the short term, but also so that individuals can ga- gauge their own risk and think about how they may want to modify their own behaviour. So I think data is going to be key as we move forward both in terms of pandemics, but also in terms of just infectious diseases, you may want to know, you know what's the amount of flu in your local area for this winter or other infectious diseases. So I think that type of data and putting it out into the public domain in an anonymised form, I think, is going to be very important as we move forward into the future.
1: Thank you for all these answers, Matt. It's been very clear. And thank you for coming to this wider presents.
3: Thank you.